Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. I hope this finds you staying safe and healthy wherever you are. You know, it certainly is a crazy time in our world today, isn't it? With a lot of reasons to wonder what the future will hold, even what tomorrow will look like. There are a lot of things then that can trigger fear and anxiety within us and cause us to take our eyes off of the Lord. Our world continues to battle coronavirus and it struggles with maintaining social distancing and sheltering, which is understandable because we are made to be in relationship with each other. They say many people now are experiencing what they call caution fatigue. Caution fatigue is where we wanna go out, get back to socializing and ignore the health risk just because we're plain tired of staying indoors and staying away from each other. There's ongoing racial tension and protests in our country like we've never seen before, or at least not seen in generations. And there's a social movement, a civil rights movement, if you will, taking place, calling for reform and change. And while I think many of these things are good, it can create fear and stress and division. Many people continue to struggle physically, emotionally, psychologically with all that's going on. And people are concerned about their finances and their job and just having enough to live on day to day. Having said that, we come together this morning. We come together to place our faith in God, our faith in Christ and the promised Holy Spirit. We come and we worship not ignoring what is taking place in the world around us, but we learn from the Lord, we get encouragement from his word, and then we're shaped to do his will wherever we are, in our families, in our neighborhood, in our communities. We're continuing on in our series in the book of Luke entitled New Hope, New Joy. And it's my prayer that in the midst of all the turmoil that's taking place, we will be refreshed this morning by God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, come to us each this morning, wherever we're watching this, that you would descend on us, that you would speak to us and minister to us this morning. Lord, in all that's going on, I pray that you would hear, we would hear your voice. It would be your voice, Lord, that we hear that speaks to our hearts, that we respond to, and that you would teach us, Lord, what you would have for us this morning. Just pray that you would guide my words, guide this time in Jesus' name, amen. Our passage this morning is coming from Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21. So Luke 13, 18 through 21. The scripture says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In these four verses, 
Jesus gives us a picture of the kingdom of God. He describes it with this parable or this analogy to the growth of a mustard seed and yeast mixed in a big batch of dough. By it, he gives the people a vision, a picture for what God is doing and what God is building and creating. And this is not lost on the people that are listening to him, the Jewish people. They understood God's kingdom as a place of deliverance and restoration. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a very uh, visual person, uh, or I'm not a good visual learner. Uh, I'm terrible at games like Pictionary and Charades, and uh, those that lovingly accept all my other faults and shortcomings. Uh, They don't want to have anything to do with me when we pick teams to play these games. I'm more of an auditory learner. Now, my daughter, Avery, on the other hand, uh, she is very visual, very creative. And uh, she painted this in the youth group a couple of months ago. And so they did this uh, painting in the group of Bob Ross uh, sceneries. You know, and Avery can see things that I can't see. She can visualize things that are hard for me to, to, um, to see in my mind. But I love it. I love it when Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God because it gives me a greater sense of who God is and what his realm is like. Theologian Graham Goldsworthy, and I've quoted this one before, says, God's kingdom is defined as God's people in God's place, under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. And as the people of God, you and me and our church, who want to be with God, who want to see his rule and his blessing take hold in the world around us, we should hunger to see the kingdom of God. Like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This morning I want to talk about three characteristics of the kingdom of God. Three characteristics which may give you a greater sense of who God is, what's on his heart, and who we should be as the people of God. One statement I'll make up front is that the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is not always what we expect. As God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God has a different perspective than we do. And so we need to conform to his ways and to his thoughts, not our own. Three characteristics of the kingdom of God. The first characteristic is that the kingdom of God is not religious. The kingdom of God is not religious. Now that's a little bit of a play on words, But what I'm saying is that God is not a respecter of man's rules and his definitions about what's godly, especially when these things lack the heart of Jesus. Man doesn't get to define what pleases God. God does. And he reveals these things to us as we seek his heart. Let me ask you a question. 
Is it good to read your Bible and to pray and to come to church? Yes, yes, the answer is yes. Yes, it is, absolutely, without a doubt. But do those things constitute our faith? No. Those things might be considered religious activities, but at the end of it all, we seek God. We seek the Lord in his word, in our prayers, in fellowship with one another. And God is at work in all of these things to form and shape our hearts and minds and to make us more like him. You see, in college, I once took a class called Bible as Literature, and I realized that there are people who know the Bible inside and out who aren't being transformed by Christ. They don't care about Jesus. And that was a lesson to me. That we see this over and over in the scriptures as Jesus deals with the Pharisees and the religious leaders who read the scriptures daily and they fast and pray regularly and they give their alms and their offerings at the temple religiously. But when Jesus, in the passage right before this passage this morning, in the passage right before this, when he touches and heals a woman who has been crippled and bent over for 18 years, it says in verse 14, they were indignant. They were indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. See, that's religion talking. And what Jesus did in freeing this woman from her infirmity was a picture right before their eyes of what the kingdom of God looks like. And this is the kingdom that he was calling them to. It says the woman then was healed and immediately she straightened up and she began to praise God. The kingdom of God is not religious. And when following rules and traditions become our barometer for what is godly and righteous, then I think that we need to reassess what we're doing. We need to reevaluate because God is not calling people to religion. He's calling them to himself and to walk in relationship with him. So the kingdom of God is not religious. The second is that the kingdom of God is not colorblind. The kingdom of God is not colorblind. God sees color. Just as hopefully you're watching this, you know, on your TV or your computer and it's in color, God does not look at things through a black and white lens. God created each of us as people of color. And I'm not just referring to black and brown. The Asian, the white, and other people's experience, it matters. So I don't forget that everybody has a story. Everybody has a color. Because we know in Psalms that God says that he created our inmost being and he saw us in our mother's womb and he gave us our distinct racial makeup. He made us to be different. But obviously, race and the treatment of African Americans in our country is a huge topic right now. That's the topic on the table. And with the senseless deaths of George Floyd and others, and the protests across the country, I do believe the social issues that are being raised today 
are hugely important for us as a nation, for us as a church, and for the people of God. And there's a problem when we want to so quickly dismiss the voices and opinions that are raised up in these protests. Renee and I went to a forum or a, a rally yesterday in Pasadena, and it was very well done. It was very well done. It was passionate, emotional, but inclusive and thoughtful. And my key takeaway, which is nothing super profound, was that I need to dig deep, I need to dig deep within myself and look at myself and see how I care and how I am sensitive and how I stand with those who have been oppressed or marginalized purely because of their race. We need to see what's taking place in the world around us and what God may be doing. We need to bring God into this dialogue. And I think it starts with understanding that he is not colorblind. Some might say that race among believers is not that important, that we are all children of God, that God doesn't see color. And usually it's meant in a good way. And they may bring up Galatians 3.28, which says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But Paul's point here is not to ignore race or social class or gender. He's saying, though there are distinctions between us, in Christ Jesus, we are all equal. There should be no discrimination among us. In calling for unity, he was not calling for uniformity, but for love and acceptance. You know, I'm going to tell you something that you already know, but race within the church, within the body of Christ, is a complex issue. Let me show you a slide from a seminary class I took that, that kind of uh, touches on this. And what this shows is that um, there are different ways of looking at our Christian identity and what we would call our social identity. And our social identity is made up of our racial, ethnic, and cultural uh, backgrounds and our makeup. And so the first view and the first model here, um, first of all, they're represented by two different circles. So the Christian identity, you see, is in the red circle. The social identity is in the blue circle. And both of these things are essential to who we are as individuals, right? And so the first model over here on the far left is that Christian identity and social identity are two and equal circles. They're at the same level, but they are separate things and to be worked out separately. The second is that social identity takes precedence and priority over Christian identity. And so that may be a person who thinks ethnically and culturally first, and this is what shapes and forms them first, um, before Christ comes in, before they allow Christ to come into the equation. The third view is that Christian identity takes precedent over social identity. And there's a view that, um, that uh, we're all one in Christ, right? This may be similar to that. We're all one in Christ, and we're all the same. And it de-emphasizes the importance of racial and cultural issues 
on our identity. Okay, lastly, here, there's one circle. I think there's a reality that recognizes the whole person. And I don't know if you can see it, but it mixes the red and the blue to make this purple color. It's one color. It's the two circles superimposed on each other. Christian identity and social identity. Equal, with no hierarchy. They're both laid on top of each other. And you see it says Christian identity in and through our human identity or our social identity. God has made us unique with our racial and ethnic makeup. But our whole identity needs to be transformed in Christ. And I think the danger for us when we look at these different ways of seeing things, which makes it very difficult and challenging for us as a church and for, as a, communi- for a, a community, um, the danger for us is to dismiss the importance of the racial and social identity issues on people's humanity and to recognize the race, that race, ethnicity, and culture are all part of how we have been created in God's image. So this is saying that social identity is very important to how God has created us, how he has made us unique, and how he wants his kingdom to look. So when you put it all together, the beauty of God's kingdom is in its diversity and its unity. Revelation 7-9 speaks of the future worship of God's people. After I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, God specifically in Scripture calls out the different nations, tribes, people, and language, and culture and ethnicity that will stand before his throne, and we will be together and worship together. The kingdom of God is not colorblind. It is rich, colorful, and diverse. And the truth comes so clearly as I, as I watched the Young's missions video earlier in the service and how they, as an interracial family themselves, ministered to and with the people of Cameroon and the people of Africa. And I think it was just such a great picture. And God is global. And his kingdom is for all people everywhere. So the kingdom of God is not religious. The kingdom of God is not colorblind. And the last point here is that the kingdom of God is a place of flourishing. Back to the passage, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man planted and it grew and it became a tree and birds nested in it. It's also like that little bit bit of yeast that serves as leaven and makes the, the dough expand and the bread expand. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom, the realm of God, may start small and unseen, but it expands and it multiplies in a way that we can hardly understand. And I think this is great. I read that the mustard plant has such a fast-growing nature that it's almost impossible to contain once it gets going. Once the seed falls, it germinates immediately and it spreads like wildfire. What a great image of the kingdom of God. God cannot be contained. Missions and lifting up our heads 
to see what God is doing around us in the world and having a global perspective and joining him in, joining him in his work is crucial for us as individuals and as a church. Missions, missions is a movement from God to the world and we are to be an instrument of that movement. And whether you're aware of it or not, the kingdom of God is on the move. You can see it in the ministry of the youngs and our other missionaries around the world. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of work to be done. Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We also know that there are spiritual and physical forces and opposition to the gospel. But we, as Christians, are not a tiny band of believers. We are not a, a fledging, fledgling group trying to keep a little foothold in the world. No, our God reigns. And we are not only citizens of the kingdom, we are children of the king. The kingdom of God is also a place where the birds nest, life flourishes, and people experience God's blessing. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. People are healed, lives are changed and restored, hope is renewed. This is what we long to see, for the kingdom and the blessing to come to those who are on the outside of God's rule and reign in their lives and to see this expand into our community, into our world. Who are we, church? As the people of God, we are to be a sign and foretaste of the kingdom of God. See, people in, in, inside and outside of the church should see Jesus and get a taste of his kingdom when they see us act with grace and mercy to all people and not be petty or religious or judgmental. When they see us act and embrace each other in a Christ-like manner with all our racial and social differences. When they see us ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness to one another because we all make mistakes. And when we seek the godly blessing and flourishing of not just believers, but non-believers as well in our communities and in the world around us. Then his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your vision for the kingdom, Lord, that you share this with us, that you help to open our minds and our hearts, Lord, to who you are, to what's on your heart, to what's important, Lord, and to how you want to shape us and mold us. Father, we pray that we would be, um, uh, we would be flexible to your molding and shaping our hearts and our minds. Um, Lord, I, I just thank you for your kingdom that's coming that is advancing around the world, that we see through the youngs and our missionaries and those that serve outside the walls of the church, Lord. And I pray that we would be an instrument of that movement, bringing your blessing and your kingdom, Lord, to all those around us, in our families, in our homes, in our community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.